0: Are you new to coaching? Starting out as a coach can be incredibly overwhelming, especially when you aren't given much direction from your administration. That's why I created the New Coaches Playbook. It includes a roadmap to help you start building your coaching foundation and a guide to seven podcast episodes in order that will give you the steps and ideas you need to build relationships, define your role, communicate with your admin, and make a plan to start coaching. your instructional coaching personality type? Have you ever wondered what superpowers make you a really strong coach and what areas you can strengthen with just a little bit of direction? Well, now you can find out. I created the What's Your Instructional Coaching Personality Type quiz to help you answer this very question. Just head to slash quiz with a capital Q to take the 2-minute quiz and get your coaching personality type sent right to your inbox even better, you'll get a playlist of podcast episodes hand-picked just for you to help you hone your superpowers and strengthen your areas of growth. I'm so excited to share this quiz with you, so don't wait to take it. Go to BuzzyWithMissBee.com slash quiz with a capital Q and learn so much about your coaching style. This month, we are talking all about coaching cycles. Episode 122, two weeks ago, was when we started our monthly theme of coaching cycles, and we started by looking at data and how we can use it to drive our coaching work with teachers. Last week in episode 123, we talked about using behavior data and analyzing that with teachers to really facilitate the coaching work that you do in the classroom. Today, I'm chatting with Dr. Jane Kesey. She's an author, a trainer, and a coach who works with schools to facilitate team development and leadership coaching. I actually spoke with Jane about a year ago first, as the first time I ever actually talked to her, whenever she was a special guest for the members in the Coffee and Coaching membership. We did a special interview with her as one of the um, videos for the membership. I was actually in the hospital with our youngest baby, and now that baby is a year and a half old, (laughs) but at the time we were trying to help the baby cook a little longer before she was born. So we did a virtual interview for our members. I enjoyed talking with Dr. Kesey so much that I knew I wanted to invite her onto the podcast. And so we were finally able to do that today. That coffee and coaching membership has actually closed since then due to commitments that both Nicole S. Turner and I had, but you can access all of those resources at coffee and membership.com. You can grab that resource. It's got one download with all of the different video files in it and all the handouts and all the resources that came with it. It's in one handy dandy file. So you can totally check that out. Coffee and membership.com. I recommend it. It's going to be a great resource for you. I'm so glad I was finally able to meet with Dr. Kesey today on the podcast because she's so knowledgeable about working with teams of teachers and differentiating the coaching work that she does to reach them in the way that they'll respond best. I know firsthand how challenging it can be to get teachers on board with coaching cycles. It's, Sometimes the biggest hurdle is to get people to let you in their rooms. (laughs) So differentiating to meet their needs is an excellent way to help them get the most out of your work together. Once a teacher has a good experience with you, they'll come back for more. So if that first experience can really meet their needs by being excellently suited to their personality type, even better, you know that you're going to have a returning customer, a repeat customer. So I'm super happy to welcome Dr. Kesey to the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Kesey.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: I'm so glad we could make it. Um, can you introduce yourself to our listeners, talk a little bit about who you are, how you ended up here and what kind of work you focus on?
1: Sure. You know, I'm an, I'm an outside consultant, which means I get to wear a lot of hats and I use a few basic tools that mean I can um, it may sound like I'm trying to be a jack of all trades, but everything flows together. And, uh, you know, I, I started out in, in banking, which gives me street cred with math teachers. I'm an English major, so I can work, you know, in different content areas. Uh, you know, I learned my facilitation skills from many different places and then uh, started writing with uh, people who were experts in the tools that I've started using and got vi- invited into schools uh, with people that attended other things that I did. And that's been my main focus where I've done my research. And, uh, if, you know, I don't, I do some corporate work still, but I think 90% of my time now is with schools. And, uh, you know, I see myself as trying to strengthen whatever's going on in a school and help the leadership or the teachers make the most of their time and, uh, maybe streamline some things by having some different ways of approaching, uh, learning, teaching, collaboration in their toolkits.
0: You know, I have to ask about that. What are some of the differences that you see? Just, I, I'm so curious between schools and, and other industries. Uh,
1: one of them is, I mean, it's, it's gotten a little bit better, but in when I first came to schools, I was so startled by how teachers thought they had to do everything on their own. That uh, I, I worked with some schools where teachers thought sharing lesson plans was stealing or being lazy. And in the corporate world, you know, I, one of the the last team I worked with, we were like the three musketeers: one all for one, one for all. What can you do that we can all do? Uh, and so that that collaborative spirit was built in because we had too much to do and too little time, which I think sounds like any teacher in any building right
0: yes for sure
1: (laughs) so that i mean that was one of the the biggest um i also uh sometimes feel that uh teachers have or the whole school industry has been taught we're in it for the children and that's kept uh, kept us and i I include myself as an educator sometimes from being as political as we need to be you know i see things done to schools that people in other fields wouldn't allow because they, they're they just more aware of what shouldn't be happening. And teachers figured out too far down the, the pike that this this won't work, this isn't sustainable. So that's the other, the huge difference that um, I see.
0: That is, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And I just, I mean, I know this is completely on a tangent. We're talking about differentiating coaching cycles here today, but I was so curious when you brought that up. But I feel like so long, for so long, teachers have been told, we're in it for the outcome, not the income. It's like, no, that's fine, but this is your job. Everybody should be in it for the outcome of whatever their work is. Well, then what's the point if, if you're not in it for the outcome, but you do the job because you get paid. That's how you can afford to do the job. If you couldn't yes. afford, if you could do it for free, that would be lovely. But ninety-nine percent of people cannot do that. So, we, when you know, I think the one percent don't choose to.
1: <laughs> it can even make us afraid of uh, power uh, because it's a feminine industry. Not all yes. teachers are female, but we have an archetypal feminine industry. And I'll never forget this first women's conference I spoke at. It happened to be in Australia, and they had one of their major. Uh, media presence presences speaking and someone asked her but don't you hate power uh, her name is ida Butros, and um she was a uh, um head of the the sydney times by the time she was 24 so and then a major player in charity work and uh she said you're confusing power over with power too i love having power power is how you get things done and i think teachers um you know we've we've abdicated some of where we could have power because we're so afraid of being seen as um, too pushy or too graspy, and uh, you know it comes over into coaching where there's some some rules sometimes where I'm going really coaching is the one of the most effective ways to improve instruction, and you know as a teacher myself. I want to, I want to keep improving instruction. You know, I'm always looking for the right person to watch what I'm doing and um, add to my toolkit. So um, it's, it's that, um, you know, if you're looking at, at you, it, when you've got skills, you should be wanting to pass them on and not feeling like, Oh, they're going to see as see me as um, thinking I'm above them or whatever. It, it just shouldn't be that way. Um, if you've got some.
0: Yeah, that's that's excellent. I I I feel like I could have you on to do a whole um, podcast episode just about that, (laughs) about the your perspective on that because I I totally agree that we we do see that we see and I think because it is largely um, women in the field, you do see so many. I mean, you think about the schools and who gets promoted. I was just talking to to my mom about this the other day. Look at who gets promoted. It it tends to. I mean, nothing against men with charisma, but it tends to be men with charisma. (laughs) if you think about how many teachers are women versus how many administrators yep and it's startling sometimes and and I think that some of that does have to do with the relationship with power and how how women are told that that's not something that you want I think that and And it trickles into the whole across the whole field you know and it's it's uh one of the things that came out of that
1: Australian conference was I you know wrote a book on women in school leadership with one of the other um one of the other presenters who, of course, now is a great friend of mine, uh, Barb Waterston from the uh, ASEL Education Group in Australia. But, you know, it's it's easy to keep your head down and not think about how to get out of the mess we're in. And um, not that that's the only thing we're here to talk about, but um, I hope that with the last two years, we've, we've had enough and we'll figure out a really productive way forward as a profession.
0: Um, I hope so too, seriously, big change needs to happen. People are leaving in droves because it's just not, it's not sustainable. So I think that, um, yeah, you're onto something. Maybe we will do an episode about women in leadership and education. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So I do wanna know about your differentiation work that you do with with students and with teachers. And my understanding is that the foundation for that work is understanding different personalities or at least that's Mm -hmm. a, a part of your foundation for your work. So could you introduce us to these personality types that can help us understand our teachers better? Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, for one thing, I think we need a common language. You know, when we walk into someone who's a very different teacher from us, it's so easy to, um, because we teach from our strengths and we have to, um, we often are teaching in ways that tie to how we learn. Mm-hmm. And then our beliefs get tangled up into that, that everybody learns, or there's a best practice that encompasses how everyone should be learning Um, and like have you noticed that a group of mathematics teachers just has a different persona than say the English department or the drama department or the business department and that primary teachers are different than um, secondary teachers and those are just patterns and Uh, When we do research with personality type, we find that there are patterns uh, in who who goes into mathematics, who goes into teaching physical education, who wants to be with the youngest children, you know, who gravitates up the ladder to, you know, children who, um, students that can take on more uh, bigger academic challenges. And so, you know, we all know that we aren't all the same. And Carl Jung, a hundred years ago in his practice observed, he was a psychologist in uh, or psychiatrist in Switzerland. He observed these differences in people. And the easiest way to explain it is, you know, there are um, people that see the big picture and people that see details, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We can all do both, but when we see information, our mind goes one way or the other. And that's, that's part of the differentiated coaching model. And then the other half is, um, We have people that are logical decision-makers and values-driven decision-makers. And when you take those four different things, you've got four different coaching styles, Mm -hmm. you know, that that when you combine those different letters Mm -hmm. and you can just think, you know, the entire mathematics department in most, it's not, I shouldn't say that you'll have about 70 to 80% of your math teachers being logic-driven. And you'll have about 70% of your English teachers, for example, being values-driven. Um, you know, primary teachers are more likely to be values driven, you go up the scale, and they're also more likely to be detail oriented, which is good, because they're teaching spelling and rules of grammar and all the things that are um, detail oriented. And when you get up into things like, uh, you know, physics, then you want the big picture, because it is the big picture. So, um, you know, that, and that's the, the very smallest way to explain it these are recognizable differences you've been in meetings where someone said this is the logical way to go and someone goes but it's going to affect jamal and kairia and john different than it's going to affect the others they're, they're putting themselves in the shoes of the students and um, it's a very different thing from just going with what the data says for example we need both <laughs> um it's not an either or but we have these preferences um and so this is the model I use, and it act, it works for adults and children. It goes across cultures. Uh, I used to be head of the international association, and I've got colleagues all over the world. So um, it's you can use it, you know, to look at better ways to manage your classroom, to collaborate better, to um, because it deals with the information we perceive. It's at the heart of teaching, and it's at the heart of coaching.
0: How interesting! Um, so if a coach kind of figures out what their personality type is, how can they use that knowledge to help them better relate to different people?
1: Well, number one, if, if uh, coaching isn't working, I mean, you never make a judgment and you never say to someone else, well, I'm a big picture person and it's obvious you're a detail person. (laughs) But if you're getting that, like if they, just for one example, um, I am married to my um, personality opposite and he was a physical education teacher, you know, married to the English major. And if we were planning lessons together because we did sometimes uh, if he started asking a lot of questions through his detail orientation i knew immediately that i'd skipped way to the big picture and hadn't filled in all the pieces for him so that i mean the, you can start thinking about how how um, where do i see that i've somehow put up a roadblock with the teacher and how might that re- relate to how i'm coaching so um, you're never it's it's like you're you're making a new hypothesis about what will work. And you're not labeling anyone. As a matter of fact, all the personality types are great ways to be. Um, you know, there's no better or lesser type, there's no better teachers. Um, there's some that uh don't go into teaching as often because they aren't as successful in school as um it currently is, uh, but there's no reason in in the um, Cognitive processes that they that that's why that is. Um, so it's you can think of it as a, a shortcut to code switching. You know, ah, this teacher speaks a different language. How can I just shift what I'm doing to get their attention?
0: Can you talk a little bit more about those roadblocks that each personality type would have?
1: It can be, um, you know, I I break it into four. Um, coaching styles. And I do just want to say that these are brain-based. A colleague of mine, Dario Nardi at UCLA, um, wired up students and, um, you know, we don't have time to go into all of it, but people, you know, we all, all people have some brain patterns in common when we're reading, when we're doing math, when we're juggling, which are some of the activities he went into. Um, but when you take two people of the same personality type, the similarity... Dr- at a statistically significant level goes from about 30% similarity to between 50 and 90%. Mm -hmm. So these are real differences. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I, I, my husband's group, I call the um, coaches useful resource. And they, you know, so much of, of coaching, especially if you're trained in the cognitive coaching model, which I do love, but, you know, those questions around, you know, what ideas do you have? Um, the, the open-ended question, my husband's group is going, well, aren't you being paid to help me come up with new ideas? And if I had one, I'd already be using it. And they work best when they're given something that's tried and true and proven. And so I will often, you know, what's the problem you want to solve? They'll say, well, my students aren't engaging. And I'll say, here's something, you know, if it's a math room, I'll say, here's something I've tried in several math rooms and they'll say, okay, let me look through. I'll answer all their questions and they will try it. And then Once they've done that, they'll modify it, change it up, apply it to something completely different, um, start really recreating it because they're grounded in something that they can trust. And one of them once said to me, you know, I won't experiment on my students. I want to know something will work. So, they're sort of the antithesis of cognitive coaching, um, which is really, you know, most when I look at the cognitive coaching model, it's model it's just made for people like me. And I've worked in school districts where every single coach is the same group as me, what I call the coaches, collegial mentors, where it's that wonderful partnership model and you're there to just foster ideas. Um, and there's not, it's a great way of coaching, but it's not the only one.
0: Mm-hmm. So then your, your type, you said was, um, big picture and yes. Okay. And values. values driven? Okay. Yeah. And then your husband yes. was, um, detail oriented logic driven. Yep. Okay. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, then you've got the, um, detail oriented values driven and they just want to help each child. Each child is an individual. So if you bring something as a coach, they're honestly thinking about how it will work for their different students. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the ones that want their classroom just to be a place where every student feels welcome, and they're. If anything goes wrong, they think it's their fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just, uh, and so you know, I actually spend more time in their classrooms. They love modeling. Uh, they, they, because they're so inclined to um, take the blame themselves, which you know it's not a bad thing. Um, you just want to make sure you're. Um, discerning where the fault really is. It could be that, you know, just had a bunch of tired children or, or whatever. Um, but I'll often spend more time there so I can point out what's going right because they don't always see that. They, they quickly see what's going wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and they love, you know, collecting. You know, I'll often say, let's watch one or two students. Who are you most concerned about? And so I'll have my eyes on that student or we'll be collecting something so we can really see how that student's affected. Uh, and then, you know, they're on board. They, they too, once they see the, the progress, they'll take whatever we've done and change it up and do it a different way and um, get very, very creative within their own sphere. Um, my group, uh, with Jim Knight, uh, who's another coaching expert, he and I were talking about it. And you almost have to, um, we don't like to be told what to do. We love to be creative. It's like herding cats. You give us a new idea and we're like, ah, how can I change it? Uh-huh. Um and so when you're coaching us, you're best off saying something like, what would you like to change in this? And if you let us have that permission, we'll go, oh, well, I guess I could try it your way once. <laughs> you know, so it's Just that um, understanding, that drive to make it unique. And that translates into the students, too. Mm-hmm. It's only about 12% of the population of, of students, but um, they so desperately need to not do it just like everybody else. Mm,
0: interesting.
1: Uh, and then you know the last group I call it coaches expert, um, you know. It, and if I know a teacher, um, they, they they can they could be seen as being a, a force of debate uh, and resistance when really they're just trying to check what you're saying against what they already know. Uh, and if you're not ready for the barrage of questions, it can seem like they're attacking you versus. Their real piece of um, is this good? How do you know? Where did it come from? How do I actually use it? And once they um, get all, the, all that, or if they already trust you, which is a wonderful place to be in with them, um, they're co- you know I, I remember just for example one time um, a teacher, a middle school teacher, was working on better questioning in his classroom and um, helping uh, create not just first level factual questions, but go to larger ones. And I watched the lesson and he said, okay, afterward, he he just caught me leaving and he said, what do I need to do? And I said, well, you noticed how you lost um, student focus if you'd broken it up into these three pieces. And he goes, got it. Um, Can you watch the next class? And that's all he needed. There was no Uh big coaching cycle in his case because um, he understood the principles. and, And I find that so often with that group, um, it's not that they're better or no more, it's that they need a different kind of support. And so the support comes, you know, in what can seem like the argument and then you're working together to fine tune things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. You see these personalities whenever you have a meeting and you're working together and you're trying to get everybody to function, to produce something together. So they walk away with something useful and you're like, oh my goodness, people! These <laughs> People are going you to know, drive me nuts because they're not communicating Um, and it, it can be so challenging sometimes when they're in a group, even whenever we're one-on-one, but I feel like whenever you have a team of teachers, there six different people on there and they all embody something different. It can, it's so hard sometimes to get them on the same page.
1: And when they understand this, Mm -hmm. it changes. They aren't looking to be carbon copies of each other. They actually become resources to each other, uh, in a, in a very good way. And what we'll, we set up new protocols, you know, it's, um, I get so frustrated when a team's protocols are things like we will be on time. We will respect each other. I'm sorry. That's good adult behavior. That's not, that's not a, um,
0: a norm. It uh, is unfortunate you know. that We do have to say it though. <laughs> <laughs> we do have well, one of those, uh, free spirits.
1: And I, sure. I do think part yeah, of it, yeah. Part of it comes from whether the meetings are a, a good uh, yes. use of their time or not. That's
0: very true. Sometimes that is the case. Sometimes you do have individuals that they're going to be on, you know, their own drummer. But um, but yeah, you a lot of it is is my are they getting something valuable? Are they walking away with something that they can implement or that they can use or that is useful to them? So they know why they're there.
1: You know, just you know, one little example of understanding um, on one team. We had a math teacher, useful resource, you know, detail oriented, logical decision maker who also was in um, the military reserve. And, it, it, you know, everything reinforced his um, unbelievably structured way of teaching that had it set had some beautiful things around it, um, especially for the population he was working with. And on that same team was uh, just the most imaginative um Mm-hmm. more do you remember the character emma thompson played in harry potter um professor know. um what was her name that, that taught um divination and she yes. was just almost a little like yeah. Oh, yeah oh
0: my gosh i i should know that me trelawney civil trelawney. trelawney thank you she
1: yeah. wasn't that bad but i mean picture picture okay. those two yes. stereotypes sort <laughs> of archetypes and they were on the same team and the um the, the detail-oriented teacher said, you know, when I say I will do something, I know exactly what's on my plate, and I've actually thought about whether this new thing will fit, and so I'll follow through, and I think what happens with you is you're excited by the idea, and you think it's going to be on your plate, and yep. somehow it falls off, and so we need this sort of, I would rather you just said you weren't going to do it. Um, yeah. And it was, he, he said it so beautifully because they had this understanding of the personality. So he wasn't attacking her. He was trying to use an analogy to um, help them get along better. And yeah. we saw that over and over. Or um, one team had, um, th- there's other pieces of personality. You know, the coaching styles, I'm trying to keep it somewhat simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all know that some people are much more structured and uh, mm-hmm. scheduled than, and others are more free-flowing. And one team, every teacher was free flowing, and that one of the teachers was able to use this language to say, "You're making me do all the structure, you know, or we'd fall apart, and I need this shared. Can we, you know?" So it's it's those kinds of respectful conversations that um, come out of having this common language rather than a uh, everyone, you know. I, I got called into one middle school where the teachers had decided to respect each other professionally and never talk to each other. Which,
0: um, you know, <laughs> it increases way we burden. can do
1: it. <laughs> it, it, it. They're working too hard because there's things they could be sharing. Yeah, and, um, oh uh, and when they got this language, and we used it in a very simple way to start out with a simple way that took four hours to solve a problem, I should say. But when we did it. Um, can I say they broke out the champagne? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, they really had a profound new respect for each other. So, um, you know, you, you, don't, you don't have to become an absolute master, but I, I see too much damage done when, when there isn't a common language, mm-hmm. including the leaders uh, just um, accidentally assuming that those who are least like them somehow aren't towing the mark.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's so true. I I feel like um I've seen that happen so much. We had a teacher who was very gifted artistically. She was a classroom teacher, and she I mean she was if you needed something amazing and beautiful, you went to this teacher's classroom. Something creative and brilliant, and she was very um, big picture planner. That was the way she she thought. And I used to think that way. I was definitely more of a big picture person when I was in my classroom, and then when I became a coach, that did not fly. To with the people that needed the most help they were like we don't know what you're saying to us we don't yep. know what this means what do i do first and second and third you know how do i know what to look at how do i know where to go like it was i had to be like really get into the nitty gritty because i started out with very broad like oh let's think about the experiences that we want our students to have during this unit and then and we'll pull together different you know and they were like uh, what does that mean though <laughs> you know and it took me a while to get comfortable with that. And then I became, now I'm incredible. It changed me a lot. I am super detail oriented now in a way that I was never to, I was not like that before. So I don't know oh, if that's but, scientific or not, but I feel like it coaching made me a different person. <laughs>
1: well, what, what, what we would say, um, you know, like I, I, I mean, if I don't know something about personality type, my best friend does, I mean, I've written at least a dozen books on it done. Um, you know, primary research, et cetera. I'm not trying to brag, but
0: i um, just saying,
1: yeah. And, and we would say that you've developed the skills you needed, you know, a toddler, if you know what you're looking for, you can see these differences in toddlers, you know, the logic oriented ones line up their trucks by color, or, you know, they're already sorting fruit loops or M&Ms or whatever it is on yeah. their tray. And the values oriented, like my son is uh, values oriented. And at age three, he was watching, you know, Homeward Bound from behind the couch because he was so worried about the older dog, you oh know, and, that you movie.
0: Know. <laughs> <I think laughs> so, my brother did something similar. He ran to the bathroom and hid in there and he was like, I'm not coming out. And we had to watch the end of the movie so we could go tell Ben that it ended OK. Come back and see the, the dog, make it all the way back home. It was yeah. horrible. So, yes, I know exactly what you're saying.
1: You know, my, my, my daughter was the one that was sorting the trucks and materials. Wow. And now she's a speech and language pathologist in a school. You know, She's very good at stepping into the shoes of children and knowing what they need. And my son's a librarian, which, you know, it has, it has the aspects of both yeah. um, logic and, and values. And so um, you don't, people who mature... Mm-hmm. start to gain skills and do what's appropriate for the moment. You don't want to live in the afternoon like of life like you did as a toddler. And, uh, um, you know, it can be hard for educators to pull apart um, what they've learned from what's natural. And yet those unconscious biases come from what's natural. And that's, that's mm-hmm. my one piece on, of course you can do both. Um, good. You're a normal person who's maturing. And, you know, think about when you're tired or um, if you've been teaching the same class for a long time, you can stop seeing what students who just don't think like you need. And so, if you know, taking the time to try and get by um, thinking you're ambidextrous in these things means that you're going to be more open to, no wonder I don't want to teach that. I had one, I have one teacher A very experienced, probably 30 years in the classroom and and a master teacher um, who'd been very resistant to a new district curriculum. Mm -hmm. And when she really understood her personality, she said, now that I understand, I'm almost hardwired to resist how that curriculum works. I'm much more open to using it. And she did, you know, she still used some of her tried and true things because they were good. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she, the, it was an interesting situation because the principal had hesitated to really push her into the new curriculum because her results were just as good as anyone who was using the new curriculum because she was so good at what she did. Yeah, um, and yet some of the students needed. Um, that's why the district had switched. Um, and so having her, I mean, she she embraced adding the new stuff once she understood what basically why she would have hated it as a student without the right scaffolding. Right,
0: um, it, it's self awareness. Once you yeah. have some self-awareness, then you can say, oh, well, this is an area that maybe I'm not, you know, maybe I could be a little more flexible or maybe I could be a little more aware of my time. And, and like my husband, I've had that, that same conversation that the two teachers had about on the plate, how much is on your plate and <laughs> knowing how much is on your plate. I've had that conversation with my husband so many times because he yeah. is definitely big picture guy and I have become detail-oriented person. Like that's, that's, that's something I think I compensate in our relationship. That's what I have to be because that's the missing piece. So he's not going to be it. It's not going (laughs) to happen. That's an area that is going to be, he's just not going to focus on growing that area. I mean, he has obviously grown it, but not to the degree that I feel like it needs to be in order for all the needs to be. met. We have two children. I work from home. He has a demanding job. Somebody's got to keep track of the calendar. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah. And again, you know, that's maturity. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it is. Somebody's got to do it.
1: So <laughs> you have to figure out how. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know usually if if a school is really using this, um, you know, like one school district, every single uh, instructional coach got certified. Um, we have a wonderful blended learning program that we actually developed for Procter and Gamble, and then I am allowed to adjust it to certify people, to, uh, teachers to use uh, or educators to use the. Um, a personality tool in education. Mm-hmm. And so they, they certified every coach in the district so that they could have conversations. And it, it's so simple, you know, you don't have to, um, I mean, I, I used to teach the MBTI Myers-Briggs certification program. That's one tool, but people have to be certified. Um, there's another online tool that's an experience. There's two online tools. Um, one's that, you know, an experience um, where you're watching videos and deciding for yourself. Um, and then there's another one where we've, we decided we had to come up with a free one because half a billion people a year take a free quiz to find their personality type. And it's only 50% accurate. Mm. Oh, and they sell your data.
0: Oh, so we have do. a bunch <laughs> of us,
1: a bunch of us came together. And we've got a pretty good one. It's at personalitywizard.com, And if you invest oh, okay, the time okay. in the, in the, 20 minute experience, you'll come up with your personality type. And then there's quite a bit of information, but, you know, if you're just working with a teacher, um, my solution tree books, you don't, um, I don't know if I should say this, but you don't have to own the book to print off some of the reproducible masters. And in the coaching culture book, you know, there's a, there's a chart from the chapter on, you know, collaboration, and you can just give the, um, you know, often there's one on working with your opposites, and I'll tell people, just highlight um, the things that are most important to you. You know, like I'm an introverted coach. So often after you ask me a question, it might take me two or three seconds to answer. I'm really thinking about it. Or right after I've observed your classroom, can I have five minutes to just organize my thoughts? Um, I can give you the data to look at, too. I'm not keeping secrets, but just understand Um You know, I know if you're an extroverted teacher, I know you need to talk it out, but just give me, you know, one second. That's one thing that's important to me. Now on this chart, what will help us work together? Are there some things here that you should tell them, you know, you want me to know? And it's, you know, it's just a neutral conversation piece. Um, There's several handouts in in that particular um, book that, you know, you can get at Solution Tree that just let you have those conversations. You know, there's a whole one on, you know, the Myers-Briggs terms, um, Jungian terms, it's sensing versus intuition for detail versus big picture.
0: Um,
1: Cause the sensing types um, first note what their five senses detail for them and then past experience and intuitives. It's, it's not that it's not the, um, oh, I have a gut feel sort of intuition. It's that information takes them to hunches, connections and analogies, which is where, you know, the big picture, um, oh, this reminds me of this. And the Uh teacher's looking at Uh you going, but I'm teaching that. Why are we talking about this? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They had trouble following. So so you can just go down the characteristics of the two and and the teacher will go, oh, I'm more on this side. Uh Or they might be, well, I can do both. But as a child, I was over here and it just gives you some clues. Mm -hmm.
0: How interesting. You know what I like about it is that it can be used to say, okay, these are actually some strengths that we all bring to the table this is something that you're good at this is a, you know an area that you might be more strong in than me and so you can use that to kind of like i can think of the teams that work together the best that were the highest functioning teams they would say oh mr so and so he's our resident whatever you know he's the one that's so good at doing this and so and so is the one who's so good at doing this and they could honor that about each other they could see the differences and say you are so creative. You have such a great vision for whenever we're starting a new unit, but you, Mr. So-and-so are great at creating a test that's aligned to the standards, you know, so then they can pull yeah. together and share the load.
1: And that's, you know, when you see each other's strengths rather than, um, seeing it as an irritation, cause you know, every strength overdone becomes a weakness and comes with a blind spot. So we can drive each yeah. other nuts, um, <laughs> And so, you know I talk sometimes about it being a cosmic joke. But the other thing, it well, there's two things. One is we know from research that teams where personalities are similar often norm very quickly. you know, start getting along and working, uh, but they aren't necessarily effective. Mm-hmm. Teams that are diverse, it may take a longer time for them to learn to work together, but they usually come up with better solutions. And in education, where we have these strong patterns with, um, you know, I have worked with say a social studies department where everybody was the same coaching style, an English department where everybody was the same coaching style or math, where it was um, eight out of 10 were that detail oriented logic. And so a unanimous decision, it's actually dangerous because that's not the students in your classroom. Yeah. You know, you don't have to know the types of your students. I'll guarantee you, you've got every single one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a horrendous record of leaving out. A, we've got research um, from several different places um, showing that um, one of the groups makes up about 60 percent of the students in alternative schools, and they're only 25 percent of the population. Mm-hmm. So they're you could just say they're allergic to school.
0: And which group is <laughs> we do it. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but right. That's the thing. It's not structured to support kids who are not fitting a certain mold. So which group right. is it that's that's making up the majority of kids in alternative? Science? Um,
1: well, I'm saying, so, you know, there's 16 personality types mm-hmm. and I look at students for learning just a little different than I look at coaching. Okay. So it doesn't quite, quite, um, but they are the free flowing, um, extroverts okay. <laughs> is, okay. is really what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, are, you know, a lot of the other, there are a couple other groups, um, where their drive for uniqueness can get them into trouble, but usually they pull out a a rabbit out of a hat and figure out some other way to do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, up until, you know, the 1970s, these students could drop out of school and go get, you know, $60,000 a year job with, you know, a tool and die certificate or start their own business or, you know, they, they were, um, I met one, I know on a plane. I mean, I don't type from afar. I would never say you're one of these, but Uh you know, he worked on lobster boats in Maine in the summer and salmon fishing over in Oregon, another part of the year. And um, had some other job that he could do whenever he wasn't doing that. And um, went home as often as he could to take his mom on wonderful vacations with his extra savings, but she had to be flexible because he'd never know when a deal would come up and he could go. And he was totally happy with his lifestyle. And you can see how he would have struggled to, Take an advanced placement test, right?
0: Yeah, right. Oh, interesting. Um, So then if we're thinking about the way that teachers work with a coach, sometimes just getting them interested in working with a coach is, is really more than half the battle. It's, it's like the whole battle. Once you get that done, once they are interested in working with you, it's easy part after that. <laughs> so can knowing a teacher's type help us frame coaching cycles in a way that sounds really appealing to them? So they go, oh, yeah, I think that's something I want to do.
1: I think, um, you know, it's, it's a hard question for me to answer because of course I've never done it the other way.
0: (laughs) Um, Sure. Okay. Maybe I should say, how do we frame, uh, coaching cycles in a way that sounds appealing to each type? (laughs) Well, you know, there's,
1: there's a piece of what I do that that's totally separate from, um, personality type. And one is understanding that every teacher is teaching from their strengths and their beliefs. Um, and that means, you know, we're kind of asking them to change religions. We're asking them to change right. their classrooms. So that's part right. of it. Um, I want to, um, figure out what problem they want to solve. And yet it, I've never had that. Um, there's always a way to tie it to, to the school initiatives. You know, I'm just searching around for, um, mm-hmm. what it is. So, you know, like we had, um, a school-wide initiative for student-centered discussions, or accountable talk, or whatever you want to, whatever your label is, which is one of the highest equity strategies out there, because whoever's doing the talking is doing the learning, and you can talk at a higher level than you can read and write at. And uh, I remember one teacher said um, she was so she. I've been working with their PLC team, but she hadn't had me into her classroom, which is another thing I. I I think a coach should be working in a collaborative situation because half the work, it, then, then teachers are learning from each other. Um, that's another one of my, my big things. Uh, but at any rate, she um, was complaining about her first hour class that w- had just learned helplessness up the wazoo. You know, She gave them a problem that was just a little different from what they'd seen before. And they were just, I can't do this. And she said, do you think because you know, we'd been talking about student-centered discussions for like five months. And um, she said, do you think it might help? And I was like, yeah, I think it'll help. I think I can come up. You know, I just jumped on the problem uh-huh. she wanted to solve tied to the school um, initiative. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can set up small group student-centered discussions that help students learn to go further than they were going on their own. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we worked on discussion protocols and such and Um, she increased that and the helplessness went away. So, um, that, you know, it's, I I can think of another teacher whose classroom was an absolute mess. I was sent in and, um, I won't go into the whole story. It's one I get criticized for a lot because people can't believe that a classroom was so bad. She'd never been taught to to plan a lesson. She needed individual attention. Um, and it had never been given to her because she'd just been passed on from one, um, one leader to another rather
0: than someone figuring out what she needed Mm -hmm. so yeah starting with those needs that are impacting the teacher and that and and it's i think it's admirable if she was able to say well i don't really you know if you if it was clear that she didn't know how to plan a lesson and that she was open to to wanting to plan a lesson you know then that's like to learn that process then that's it could be impactful or i just don't know what children would want to read
1: or um what else, what else has been, I mean, I've had I, these kids just don't pay attention and they've got to read this thing. Yeah. How do I capture their attention? Or um, oh, who else flipped into my mind? Um, I mean, often it's classroom management. Yeah, and of course there's an inst- s- instructional principle that, that needs to be put into practice to help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll start with whatever. Um, and it could be that um, I mean, I remember one teacher that was just, well, you know, they get 60% through this big project that should be so exciting and, and half of them never finished. And I looked at it and it was like, you're right. No sixth grader can keep their, enter- no sixth grader, 40% of your sixth graders are going to fail because it was too long without mini deadlines and such. And, yeah. you know, he was a big picture person, um, but the problem was the completion rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all he thought was, was wrong. Mm-hmm. And um we actually added quite a few things that helped the, the students who didn't think like him do a better job. Um, so spots, like you mentioned. Yeah. So I, I mean, you, you can bring me a really weird problem to solve and I'll do my best. I can't think of one off the top of my head. That's <laughs> that's more radical. But, um, you know, I want to start where people are.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you mentioned before that you had like a very logic driven teacher, a teacher who's just like, okay, I just need to know, tell me what I need to do. You know, what do I need to change? Okay, I'll, I've got it. I'll go do that. I'll go apply it. So then in thinking about that, what, and you you mentioned that that teacher didn't need this big whole coaching cycle. They were like, quick, give me the feedback. Okay, I can do that. I get it. Um, and like, they could immediately see what that could look like in their classroom. Is there are, some, are there some personality types that, are, that need more of that structured, okay, pre-conference, now we're gonna have the classroom work, now we're gonna have a post-conference, you know, how does that, how, does that, how do you differentiate that based on the personality types of teachers?
1: Um, well, I think everybody can benefit from the cycle. If, you, if you're thinking about, you know, what's the problem they wanna solve? How are we gonna do that? What evidence are we gonna collect? How are we gonna tweak it? Um, what, what, what's different is the support that goes on in the middle. Mm -hmm. And how much, how much might, um, you know, obviously I want the teachers doing as much of the work as possible, not, um, not me just handing them things in an unproductive way where they're not learning, but you, you know, like I mentioned before, you've got this group that works best. If I hand off an exemplary lesson that they can, they learn by doing, um, you know, they, um, and so giving, you know, if you have them plan from scratch, they're questioning whether it's going to work. If you have them try something that they can, you know, that they expect to work and that they've got a whole different set of questions in their mind. Um, You know, so that's, you're still doing the cycle, but it's different. You know, they finish that piece and it's almost like then the cycle starts on all right, now I want to try this. Will this work? Will that work? Let's see if this will go, you know um, the, the one group, the, the um, what I call coaches encouraging sage is almost the, the, um, perfect candidate for the true coach the the typical coaching cycle where you pre-plan and um you know we'll work together on getting something and then see whether it works and tweak it and they want the full thing and that like i said before um, that's where i do the most co-teaching the most modeling um, the most time in the classroom observing because um often too they're um, very willing to share with everyone else when something works they're pretty excited about it so especially if they're'
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> Which personality type was that? They're,
1: they're detail oriented and student oriented. So, I mean, every teacher is student oriented, but they're values oriented. And so, if something works, they're really excited about it, and they want it. You know, they want to spread the word so that every student can have that chance.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, they might not be so. a bad like if you're trying to figure out how to get coaching cycles off the ground, and you haven't yeah. really done any yet, it might not be a bad place to start with those teachers because they might be really good commercials. For your work for other people.
1: <laughs> it's not silly to start with an. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to stereotype, um, but extroverts learn by talking. It's not about who's shy or who goes to parties, um, it's about who gets their energy from interaction. And so you're more likely to have an extroverted teacher talking to other teachers because that revs them up even more for the classroom. Whereas we introverted teachers, you know, I, I know, you know, when they get permission, uh, they may hide on their lunch hour with a headset on so that they get their energy back for the afternoon classes. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, that th- there's that practical piece. Um, the the teachers like me, the big picture, values driven, they often want to take, like if, if I've done professional development or if they've been working on something, they often want to, um, one said, I want to take it 60% and then talk to you. I want to see how far I can get because you're not always going to be around. But then I want your input, mm-hmm. um, you know, because that's what you're here for. So that's very, you know, very very different from the one who wants to start from scratch. And then again, like I said, the 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 uh, the the, co- the coach's expert, the logic driven, big picture people, they can see it in their heads once they've got enough information. Um, I, re- I remember mod- I modeled in everyone's classroom for something we were doing with students, and the, um the big picture logic person watched me once and did it 10 times better than I've ever done it anywhere anytime and added stuff on in the moment just making it you know he could just it's not that he objected to seeing it um it probably kept him from having to read stuff and he he liked seeing me work with the students that's not the point it was that um he could just boom take it from there almost without even talking to me because he saw
0: saw it internalized it right away and he was like ah i can see what i can do with it
1: yeah um and you know because i know these i sometimes i almost have the best time working with my opposites because you know once you trust each other then you know you're gonna have this wonderful Mm -hmm. um push pull and do we have enough details do we have enough choices do we have enough um you know, room for the imagination for the students. Do we have clear outcomes? <laughs> uh, you know, get that back and forth on it um, really benefits everybody. It, yeah. it, uh, it, once you trust each other, it's a wonderful, wonderful collaborative partnership.
0: Yeah, you can kind of envision it like a little puzzle. Like if you have one of each of these four components and you put it together, then you've got like a dream team where yeah. all your faces are going to be covered. <laughs> you're going to pull together the most amazing stuff because you're not going to leave anybody out.
1: And if you don't have everyone and you know the language, then you can um, make sure you're asking the questions that no one's asking. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like, uh, you know, it it can be as simple as, okay, wait a minute. Do we have a way for um, us, you know, a student to do something that's a little different? What are we going to do or how are we going to address that? And it can be as simple as everyone's going to do, um, you know, let's just say you're trying to teach students to take notes. Every student's going to learn how to take cliff notes. Everyone's going to learn how to not cliff um, <laughs> Cornell notes. Sorry. Um, everyone's going to learn how to do graphic recording. Everyone's going to learn how to do a standard outline. After that, once you've tried it, you can choose one of those anytime you want, or you can come up with your own way and show it to me and show me why it's, you know, how it's working for you. Um, and, and often, you know, you've got someone saying what, you know, if you had a, a whole team that was structure oriented, they might just teach the three. If you've got a team that's, if, if you don't have anyone on your team, you can be asking that question, how do we let students be unique? And still make sure that you've got a safety net in place so that uniqueness doesn't mean um, the learning targets aren't met. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you're kind of already talking about the next thing that I really wanted to know about, which is how knowing a teacher's personality type can help coaches support them as teachers to meet the needs of their students. And you're getting at this idea of, as they're planning for students, they have to be thoughtful about the areas that maybe they wouldn't have been thoughtful about. You know, naturally, they have to be aware of their, maybe the areas that are not their strengths. So they can say, okay, what am I gonna do to address this? Because I have kids in my classroom who are not gonna fit what my instinctive um, plan would be. And so, you know, that's my book, Doable Differentiation. (laughs)
1: Mm-hmm. And, um, it's based on, you know, the personality types as well. Not, not that you're teaching to the types, um, but you're making sure no types left out all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've used the acronym steam squared that if you're teaching around the cycle of the different, what I, the cognitive processes that go into learning that, um, you're helping students be successful. Mm-hmm. You're helping them thrive because every student's getting a chance to shine, um, you're helping them become more um, engaged. If you're if you're doing this right, uh, you're also um, helping them be more agile. Because, um, you know, we all, um, you know, you just think of that common combination of detail oriented logic and how, how we all have to do that. You know, we all need, math is no fun unless you know your math facts, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we all have to buckle down. Forget that I like to be unique. Um, although there are fun ways to teach it so that I don't mind um, memorizing all those math facts, you know, games we can play and writing in different colors or, or whatever it is. Um, but we all have to do that. We all have to read on our own. That's another whole learning style. We have to, um, you know, the the, the um, truth is now no one wins the Nobel Prize by themselves, right? It's almost always teams that get the science prizes. And so we have to learn that collaborative sol- problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is a hands-on component to learning. You know, you have to be able to actually work a battery circuit to understand how it works. To be a good scientist and inventor, and so we're teaching the kids to be agile. And if you're doing all that, you're helping them mature. So that's the STEAM. Um, and uh, so a teacher who figures out which they def- which of this um, cognitive process, the personalities they default to. Um, They can make sure they're adding something for their opposite, not every moment, uh, because every kid has to learn in all the styles, Mm -hmm. but over the course of time, teaching around the cycles. And uh, it it can be as simple as having a choice of two questions on a test. ones that's very objective, like summarize the plot, and the other one's much more subjective, like write um, a letter to a character that shows you understand the plot of the book. Mm-hmm. um you've got to have clear learning targets or it won't work you'll you'll go nuts okay. grading but if you if you set it up then you can give them that choice mm-hmm. um and you'll have i'd say on that question probably 75 percent of your students or maybe even 85 will simply summarize the plot and then you'll have the first the next 15 you'll have so much more fun grading some papers that are different it'll <laughs> keep you awake you can put them in amongst the others and see what they come up with mm-hmm. my son mm-hmm. once asked uh can I write my report on Louisiana as if I were the first explorer writing home to my mother? And the teacher <laughs> said, I thank the teacher for letting him do that. And his teacher said, well, at least I know he's not plagiarizing. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that freedom to do it in his own way um, It's just one little example of how that, how that can play. And it, it can seem scary to a teacher until they see the work that comes from the students who just need that freedom. Um,
0: not true. And not all the time not all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's a, that's a good point. There's there's like an element of control and comfort whenever we're working from what we are naturally inclined to do. And we feel like, okay, we know what the outcomes are going to be. We know what's likely to happen. I don't have to worry about, you know, kids going in a crazy direction that I don't know how to rein them in or bring them back. And how do I, 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 I feel like a challenge that a lot of teachers that I've worked with have is how do I, How do I still, like you keep talking about the standards and having learning objectives. How do I still hit these things? How do I make sure kids are getting to these things while allowing for creativity? And that's what you're talking about is making, like the teacher has to know where you're headed so that they can build in things that will support kids in accomplishing those things in different ways. But Mm -hmm. the teacher has to stretch their brain so much if that is not their natural way of thinking.
1: Well, that's, you know, do do it. Not to advertise with I mean that the whole I wrote a book on differentiation back in 2006 and in the years um, when the dif- differentiation came out last year so in those intervening years I was trying to make it more practical more pragmatic you know what was I learning as I worked with teachers it came the first book came from my work with teachers but I was there for extended periods of time at that point in my career you know working with the same uh, teams and uh, so then I had 10 years of Because that book actually did well, then all of a sudden I'm going and doing one day workshops and I don't like doing hit and runs. I like doing something that, you know, lasts. And so it was like, what works? What makes it more practical? And so it's 12 strategies, one of which is, you know, half a dozen ways to give true choices once you know your learning targets. And, you know, it can be as simple as do five out of the six math problems. and when you, you know, autonomy is one of the, the top human motivators. And uh, when we started doing that, you know, 60, 70% of the kids did all six, you know, but they had the choice and some of them would cross one out, you know, just, ah, I had my choice on which one I didn't want to do, or, um, <laughs> you know, it could be as simple as where they stand, where, where they work. You know, do you have a bookshelf that's the right height for a student to read or write at that lets the extroverted kids that um, need to get their wiggles out to mm-hmm. just, um, I remember that one of the stories in the book is a teacher who tried that with a high schooler who said, I just can't write anymore. And so, well, why don't you just try leaning against the wall and just getting out of his chair. Um, the student wrote and wrote and wrote. And we always joke, if you don't plan for movement and interaction, they're gonna move and interact when you don't want them to. That's true. So it's part of differentiation. Um, in very constructive ways you know it's not oh I'm just going to let them go stand by a wall there's all kinds of ways I call it planned movement it's another whole strategy um, that builds it in so that's you just you just get more aware of why some students are struggling and um, or rebelling or not working up to potential or all the other things we say when we don't understand a fundamental difference in what they need
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a great tool to have handy when you're planning with a teacher and maybe you're both the same type. <laughs> and you're like, uh, what could we do? Let's 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 look into some resource to help us um, think of some options here because we're both coming up with the same stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How great. So that's one place people can go to learn more about differentiating for students. Where else can people go to learn more about this idea? You mentioned the quiz already, which I love, right? The personality wizard. Is that right?
1: Yeah, they, okay. um you know, I assume you, do you post some sort of resource thing? Cause I've got a QR yeah, code show notes that we can, okay. we can add I'll send you me. the QR code that gets them to the teacher experience. Okay, And that, that will give you some information on these cognitive processes and on the coaching styles Um personalitywizard.com takes you to a whole bunch of it's, it's the same owners, um, the same, same group of people. Um, and uh you can just you know the one has a longer. We tried to make a five minute experience. That's what the teacher experience is, and it's not as accurate because um, nothing this five minutes is. Uh, but it, if you sit and talk with a colleague about it and look at the information with a colleague, you'll get what you you'll, you'll get a deep experience, and you can also go deeper. If you um, it 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 shows you which type of the four groups you are, and then you can verify it, which takes you deeper, um, and you, you'll have access to more. So that's, that's the other simple way okay. um, of doing it. Of course, there's the differentiated coaching book. and
0: <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I have enjoyed this so much. This is such a neat conversation. And I mean, I, I, figuring out how people think and work is so interesting. And it's also so challenging because we think and work the way that we think and work. So I, I'm so happy to have someone here who has done all of this research in this area and can shed some light on people who sometimes, maybe their brains are a mystery to us.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. And it's, you know, it's so fun coming in as an outside coach and having this particular set of tools, because often I'm sent to the teacher who's struggling the most and they feel heard. You know, they've they've already seen me in some capacity and it's not that I'm a genius. It's that this system helps them go, no wonder. And so frequently they're going, this is how I'm misjudged. Uh, and they're already ready for the conversation and that's, that's worth the price of admission.
0: Yes, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Keefe. Thank you for having me. So I know that was a bit of a crash course, but isn't that interesting? The idea that this is one of the fundamental ways that we can look at how people think and approach their work so that we can better understand ourselves and better understand our teachers and better understand students. I just think it's so neat. You know, if I were working with a team of teachers regularly, I would definitely want to know what their types are, but I think it could be helpful. Like she mentioned, if you're coming in and you don't really know the teachers yet, like at the beginning of the school year where you haven't had enough time to interact with people, this might be a really cool back to school kind of thing to do or, you know, in a team that maybe is having some dysfunction, this could be a great tool to have them take the quiz, Talk about it with each other and identify it as strengths that they bring to the table so that you can really get that team to work together well. There's a few other resources that can be helpful to you as you're working through your coaching cycles and thinking about how you can support all of your teachers with them. Episode three is the coaching cycle in six easy steps. I break down the process for you there, and that's a really great one to start with. Episode 68 is providing different levels of support to create access points for all teachers. And I feel like this kind of addresses a little bit of what we talked about today, that some teachers are gonna want a model lesson. Some teachers are gonna want a video. Some teachers are gonna want some research or an activity that they can use. Some teachers are gonna want a a sounding board. Everybody's gonna want something different. If if you think about it based on personality type, it makes total sense. Um, Using a coaching menu to provide those different levels of support and give them access points depending on what they're interested in is a great way to get the door open for you as a coach. Episode 80 is getting in the door with a defined role and that's actually a coaching call. So in that co- that coaching call, I talked with a coach who struggled to get into some classrooms and we really talked about defining that role, nailing it down so they know, the teacher knows exactly what they're there to do and there's, no, uh, there's nothing shady. <laughs> the teacher isn't looking at you like with some side eye going, I don't know what you're doing here and I don't trust you. The next episode, episode 125, we're going to keep talking about coaching cycles and we're going to look, we have taken an in-depth look at how we can use the gradual release model to support teachers in growing in their independence through coaching work. Because I've talked to lots of coaches who have struggled with teachers who kind of get stuck. So we work with a, with a teacher and then they do not maybe move anything into independence. They, they do the work during the cycle and then that's it. And then whenever you leave everything kind of stops. So, we're going to talk about how we can help that teacher transition that learning into their independent teaching. And I really look forward to sharing that with you. Till then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at Miss B. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching.